Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, in today's episode, I'm going to introduce you to a woman in the middle who's an expert in ageism in the workplace. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle, with over a million downloads and counting. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, your master certified coach and midlife mentor, and I'm so glad to be here with you again. Ageism, we all sense it, and sometimes we've even seen it in action. So I thought it was time to dive into this topic a little deeper than I have before. I also consulted the Ontario Human Rights Commission for a starting point. They have an ageism and age discrimination fact sheet. So here's a definition, and I quote, The term ageism refers to two concepts, a socially constructed way of thinking about older persons based on negative attitudes and stereotypes about aging, and a tendency to structure society based on an assumption that everyone is young, thereby failing to respond appropriately to the real needs of older persons. Ageism is often a cause for individual acts of age discrimination and also discrimination that is more systematic in nature, such as the design and implementation of services, programs, and facilities. Lots of layers to unpeel here. I hope you don't mind that I read a quote, but I thought, you know, it was probably a good time to read a quote. (laughs) I went right to a really good source, and I thought that was better to do. So like I said, it's lots of layers to unpeel, and we're definitely going to do just that. But just quick, before we dive into this episode and you meet my amazing guest, I wanted to make sure that you heard about the exciting new thing that will be coming to you soon. I've been posting about it on social media, and I announced it recently, so here it is. I'll soon be launching a second podcast, essentially a sister podcast, to the Women in the Middle show that you're listening to now. The name of the sister podcast is Women in the Middle Entrepreneurs. Basically, two cool parts of my business are getting married and having a baby, (laughs) even at our age. If you're a midlife woman 50 plus who's an entrepreneur or business owner, this new podcast is especially for you. The new podcast will be focused on what's really going on in midlife as an entrepreneur while you're in it dealing with the classic midlife-related obstacles and challenges, things like taking care of your aging parents, empty nest, menopause, lack of self-care, lack of work-life balance, that sort of stuff. When all of this comes up, it can be harder to focus on your priorities, and that can throw you out of alignment. You can start to worry that you'll have regrets because you're not fulfilled and you know that you're meant for more. So we'll be focusing on what the experience is really like to be over 50 and run a business. Sound good? If you're interested in learning more about how to be a guest on this new show, head over to www.midlifeinterviews.com and apply. Okay, let me introduce you to my amazing guest today. Her name is Patty Temple Rocks. I wish that was my name. (laughs) What a great name. Over the course of an impressive four-decade career, Patty has held senior leadership positions in three different sectors of the communication industry in PR, advertising, and corporate client side. She served as the chief communications officer for the Dow Chemical Company and the chief reputation officer 
for Leo Burnett Worldwise. She's an inspirational leader, builder of teams, creative thinker, problem solver, and agent of change. Patty is also passionate about discussing and fighting age discrimination and helping people understand how ageism stunts business growth and reflects poorly on our society. She writes about these topics in her new book, I'm Still Not Done, It's Time to Talk About Ageism in the Workplace. As a public speaker and consultant, Patty works with businesses that wish to change for the better and implement effective practices to fight ageism in the workplace. During her impressive career in marketing and advertising, her valuable ideas and strategies were implemented by world-class organizations including McDonald's, Unilever, Bacardi, and Walmart. I know you're going to love meeting Patty today, so please enjoy this interview. Hi, Patty. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Women in the Middle podcast. Thank you, Susie. I'm delighted to be joining you today. I am really happy you're here because so many midlife gals have ageism in the workplace and it's on their minds. So let's dive in. And the other thing is I haven't really talked about it head on yet on the podcast. So I was just so excited. Uh, so let's start by you telling us a little bit about yourself and your life. Like, what did you study in school? What was your first professional job? What kind of got you going in corporate? Yeah, I actually studied the very thing that I'm doing. So I was a, you know, marketing and communications major and more than anything in the world wanted to get a job, you know, in the agency world in Chicago which is sort of ultimately what happened for me. I've also had my own business for a while. I had um, a big time corporate job and I was just, I've been really lucky, blessed, worked hard, like all those things. Um, but my career has just been awesome. And I've been really thrilled that I've just been so challenged and gotten to do so many different things, which is why, as you said, so many um, of your listeners are, you know, ageism maybe out there and something they're thinking about, but don't, you're not the only one that has never talked on it, but it just isn't talked about. So when I first started to notice it, I decided that my career might need to shift a little bit to talk about that. Well, I love that. So tell me what happened. Like why, what was your experience of noticing it? Yeah, I can tell you exactly because it's vivid, like it happened yesterday, but I um, had taken a job, um, a very senior level job for a fortune 50 company. Um, and was working for a woman who, you know, over the years had become, you know, not just my boss, but a mentor and a good friend. She was given this really important job in the corporation. First woman to break through the glass ceiling together, you know, we were killing it. Things were going great. And then with sort of, I mean, the company did go through some challenging times, but with no real warning, I started to notice her being marginalized in ways that just didn't make any sense to me. She wasn't invited to certain meetings. Um, you know, there was a little bit more than normal, like mansplaining or talking over her or things like that. And it just was very incongruous to me with what I thought. And I happened to have an opportunity to be at a cocktail reception with our shared boss, the CEO, who I knew had put her in this role. And I asked him, I said, can you what is going on? I, I used a pseudonym. So I called her Angelina. I wrote about her in my book, but I said, you know, what is going on with Angelina and how can I help? And his response was shocking, to be honest. The first thing he said was, well, don't you see this could be good for you? And I've never met a woman who wants her own career opportunity to come on the backs of another woman's, you know, misfortune. So I, that exactly. did not impress me. 
But the second thing he said was just absolutely mind boggling to me because he said, you know, she's been here a really, really long time. And I think she might be tired. And if you knew my friend and mentor, Angelina, like that's a word that no one has ever used. It wouldn't be in the top 100 words that you would use to describe her. So I just, my antenna went up. I thought this is just so not really what's happening. What is happening? And, and, you know, ultimately she just decided to take a package and move on and is doing great by the way, and went on a bunch of boards and all the rest of that. But for me, it was also really jarring because I thought, is this what happens? You know, I think she was 55 at the time. I was 49. I wasn't even 50. And I just thought, is this what happens to us when we hit a certain age? So my first reaction, admittedly, was about a little bit of self-preservation and how am I going to plan and manage my own career so that this doesn't happen to me? And I started to read a little bit about it and everything that I read, and this was now it's been like, you know, 12 years or so, but every literature, everything I could find to read was all about how I needed to reinvent myself. And I should think about if I love gardening, you know, there will come a point in time, maybe I want to go work at a garden center, or maybe I've got the funds I could open my own garden center. Or if I'm, you know, maybe I just want to volunteer and help you know, underprivileged kids tend their gardens or, and, and so it was all based on this assumption that this was definitely going to happen and that it was sort of okay for it to happen to me as long as I have a backup plan. Um, but then I realized the, and, and I was kind of emotionally thinking, yeah, I'll think about, I'm not a gardener, but I was thinking about, you know, <laughs> some things that I might want to do. And what they never told me in these books was that when it does happen to you, you're often not ready to go be a gardener or do something else. And when it happened to me, I was in the prime of my career. Um, everything was going great. My, you know, I was managing a large agency. We were making money. I had engaged loyal people and my then boss, um, you know, for reasons that I don't think were intentionally ageist. I think he frankly promised my job to somebody else as a development opportunity. He offered me a job that didn't feel very fulfilling, rewarding, very meaty. And I said, no, thank you. Um, I'm good where I'm at. Thanks anyway. And I don't think he expected that. And so his response to me was, well, how much longer do you want to work anyway? And with the tone of voice that, that I didn't appreciate, you know, and I, I just thought, oh my God, I didn't see this coming. I think, you know, Maybe they think it's time for me to, you know, move on or do something else. And, you know, I don't mind necessarily that we move on to make room for others to grow and develop. I've always been a big believer in that. But there needs to be a plan for the person that you're moving, you know, into a different role. And it wasn't a meeting role. So I left um, and wrote about how I wasn't sure for the first time in my career at that point, it was, I think, 36 years. Um, I didn't have a job to go to and I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do next. I just knew, you know, the hashtag I'm not done. And I put it out on LinkedIn, talked sort of about my own personal journey of feeling, you know, sort of set aside. And at that point in time, I just don't think many of us were openly talking about it. And the response that I got from people, just blew my mind. I mean, at the time I didn't, I wasn't, hadn't written anything. I didn't have a bunch of followers necessarily in social media, but that just grew and became a little bit viral with so many people telling me, you know, 
oh my God, this is, this happened to me. It happened to my husband. I'm afraid it's going to happen to me. It happened to my mother. You know, all I realized this wasn't just an isolated thing that happened to my boss and me. This was happening in a much more widespread area. So that kind of became this latest chapter of my career, which is really all about writing and talking about ageism. Oh, wow. You know, as you're telling this story, I'm thinking about when did I first become aware of it? And so I was in my late 40s, late 40s at that time. And I had a colleague who was thinking about retirement and she um didn't, she didn't feel comfortable talking about her plans because she was worried about ageism. And I just remember noticing that because I'd always been told, listen, if you're making any, if you're thinking about any change in any job, don't talk about it. <laughs> like I'd always heard that you just shouldn't talk about stuff. So at first I just thought, oh, that's what it was. But no, it was very, it was very different. And then, you know, it is, it just makes you start to question a lot of things. And as a woman, it feels, it almost feels like it's compounded. A hundred percent is. And that's actually, um, one of, you know, the two most important reasons that I wrote in second edition of my book. Um, initially, I made a very conscious decision to write about ageism as a, you know, form of discrimination. I often say it's the only ism um, that affects everybody, right? Aging means we haven't died yet, you know? So every, yes. every day that we get older is just another gift in a way. And, um, and yet we just simply, you know, don't talk about it. So I made the choice to not really speak about it as a gender specific thing, because again, regardless of your gender, regardless of your sexual preference, your race, all that we, you know, we all are going to get older and therefore could potentially, you know, be at risk for ageism. But um, I heard from a lot of people, um, women who said, basically, come on, you know, it's worse for us, right? Like, you're just, how come you didn't talk about that? You know, it's worse for us. And so I, my gut told me that it was, and frankly, living through the pandemic with a lot of women on my team was validation for me that yes, it was worse for women. I just decided that I would do some research and really find out what is it that drives it and makes it worse for women. And it is worse for women. You know, it's the double whammy of age plus gender. Um, and, you know, there's also another ism that I write about called lookism. And, you know, women are just held to different standards about what we look like and, you know, paying attention to that. And, you know, a man with gray hair is called dis distinguished. A woman with gray hair is asked in the workplace, why don't you color your hair? You know, that might sort of help yeah. you. So yeah. um, I, I definitely think, agree with you that there are elements of this that are much harder for women among them that, you know, women are much more likely to be the ones in the, you know, in a family situation who step out of the workplace for a while. So when they step back in, you know, they may be 10 years older, but not have that 10 years of experience that others have had, which puts them at a slight disadvantage and is something that, you know, then when age, the biases that we have about age creep in, it just can make things really, really difficult. Definitely. Wow. So you noticed it, <laughs> you tested it, you began writing about it. This I'm not done hashtag went viral. So you definitely shared some of what it looks like. What does it feel like when you are aware of it happening to you? What might you notice? 
Well, what it feels like and what it, you notice might be two different things. And uh, I'd love okay. to talk about both of them. But I Perfect. think what, um, you know, the things that you might notice are that um, you are not given any more training opportunities, you know, that there are 10 people chosen to attend this workshop, you know, in another market that is about, you know, the digital transformation and XYZ industry and you used to go to those things and you're sort of not anymore. Um, you also might notice what happened to my friend where, you know, you're just not included in some things that you used to be included in. You might notice that nobody's really talking to you about, you know, the end of your career or how long you might want to work or what you might want to do. And in fact, um, a very high number of people, once they reach a certain age, don't even get performance reviews anymore. Mm. You know, I think it's just, it is a, or if they do, they're a lot more perfunctory, you know, and performance reviews when we're younger and coming up in our careers are always that moment where you say, well, where do you want to be in 10 years? Or let's talk about your career goals or how can we sort of get there? And those just sort of stop happening for most people in their fifties. And mm. You know, if you think back to the experience that I described, um, where it was out of sort of frustration that, you know, how, well, how much longer do you want to work? That asked in a different context and with a different tone is a great question. And so if I'm having my annual conversations with my boss about what opportunities might exist for me in the future, and part of it is always, where do you see yourself in the next five years, whatever number makes the most sense? then I might start to feel more comfortable saying, well, you know, in the next, by the end of this five-year period that we're talking about, I think I'd like to be working towards my retirement. And then, you know, it's just, it's a much more comfortable way of having the conversation than to just sort of say, hey, I want to retire in a year, which to your point earlier, like most people don't have that conversation because they're afraid they'll be, you know, dismissed or they won't, you know, get a good increase. So they're certainly not going to get any sort of bonus because people might make the decision. Well, you know, Susie's not long for this place anyway. Um, so consequently, there's just this conspiracy of silence that does nobody any good. So, um, you know, the, um, I always tell businesses, you know, what does your website look like? Like if you have a, you know, age diverse workforce, your website should reflect that, but chances are it doesn't because most of them don't. They just tend to have, you know, um, people that just look considerably younger. It's gotten a little bit better for a lot of things. I think we start to see, um, you know, greater diversity from an ethnic standpoint. You know, it's not uncommon anymore to see something where, you know, you've got, you know, two men or two women, but you still don't see a lot of older people on external websites, uh, unless it's, you know, pharmaceuticals or something terrible. Well, Um, I have to say being in this space of, um, you know, creating social media content and everything, it is not that easy to find amazing, healthy, happy looking older people (laughs) with with images. Like people either look stereotypically old and, um, you know, not that vibrant or, they look young. They don't look midlife. Right. So to find happiness and fulfillment and thriving in that middle section, those images are are very hard to find. So they you are. might feel, yeah. so I guess what you're saying is you might kind of feel um, left behind or that you're not valued anymore. You're not being asked uh, to participate in these opportunities. Uh, what might you notice? 
Well, I think it's, and the problem with this is it's sort of this, it can sometimes for some people become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes. And so you feel like you just notice that, you know, why am I not being asked my opinion as much or why aren't some of these things happen? And so then you get quiet. We tend to get quiet when those things happen and then self-doubt creeps in and you think, well, maybe I really have lost a step here or maybe I don't have as much to contribute as I used to. And so then, you know, that just becomes, you know, we're even more quiet or less participative in these things. And it just literally becomes a situation where maybe our performance actually does suffer as a result of that. And so I think, you know, I I was asked recently about if there was a single story or someone who kind of told me about what happened to them that stuck with me most of all. And I said, you know, there really wasn't But there was a word that stuck with me because I heard it over and over again from people who said they simply started to feel invisible. Mm. Um, And that just like hurts my heart. You know, I mean, what a horrible feeling, you know, and it is, you know, being seen is, I think, something that all of us need and want and expect. So when you just sort of start to feel dismissed, um, it's a pretty terrible feeling. Definitely. Well, no, thanks for sharing that. I think you're, you're very accurate with that. You know, it's just like so many other parts of our culture where age isn't really, um, I want to say respected. Maybe that's too strong a word, but I remember hearing about some research that pointed to, uh, some of the skill sets that older workers have that are very valuable and the younger people don't have them. And it's all the, the emotional stuff and groups and relationships and people, all that kind of stuff. It's, you know, if you've been working in those kind of positions for a really long time and you have all this experience, the research was showing that it's very much a skill that is valued, but not when it's with an older person. (laughs) Yeah. Well, or it's, I think it sometimes isn't like fully, um, articulated or understood. And it, it absolutely, you know, it's wisdom and experience is frankly, you know, what you're talking about. And none of this is, um, you know, I've always said, I don't think that this is like a zero sum game where for the older workers to be respected and valued in the workplace, that means younger workers have to give something up. It's the, the secret sauce is sort of how it all comes together. And it is these, um, you know, softer skills for lack of a better word, but it is true, proven to be true that older workers have a higher engagement score than younger workers. And meaning, you know, people over 40 versus under 40. And by engagement, we're just talking about less likely to look for a job, you know, more committed to the goals and objectives of the organization. They also tend to have just higher EQ to your point about, you know, sort of the emotional side of it. And, and it just simply comes from, living life, you know, and living life at work or, you know, in different places. And, and these experiences that we accumulate make us learn. And sometimes we learn what not to do. Sometimes we learn what to do, but they're all like incredibly valuable when shared with other generations. And, you know, I I have found that the younger generation. So, you know, everybody talks about, you know, Gen Z and all, you know, they're, they're not necessarily ageist. They're just un, they're just sort of not paying attention yet because they don't really think it's going to happen to them. But when you 
talk to them about it, you know, they love some of the, you know, so-called older colleagues that they have and really benefit from that wisdom. They often don't even know how old, what old is or what, what the perception of someone's age is. And so, you know, the other thing that you said earlier, you know, like we don't feel like we can talk about it at the workplace. I think the best thing that we could do is actually start to talk about it and to talk about our own age so that people can see, oh, you know, I used to think, you know, and it's, it's a point of fact when we're 20, 40 seems old, when we're 30, 40 seems young, <laughs> you know, when we're 40, 60, I mean, it, we all just keep adjusting our, our viewpoint about what's young and what's not young. And so the more that we can just sort of help people see, you know, no, I'm 63. You know, I'm, this is what 63 looks like and you can make your determination, but I think most people would realize I'm still, you know, I'm not in a wheelchair or a rocking chair or anything like that. I'm still out there doing things. And I don't expect a 25 year old to be able to guess my age and make those assumptions. So I partly feel like it's honestly my obligation to let people know how old I am so that they can see what that looks like. I love that you said that. And I feel that way too. I'm 59. So I'll be 60 in a, uh, in mid next year. And I love talking about it partly because it's helping me really appreciate <laughs> yeah. that, that new decade, you know, because right. I find that COVID has just completely wiped out my ability of time perception. I don't know what has happened with time <laughs> with COVID. Um, but the other thing is it helps people, I am pointing out, it helps people appreciate their own ageism because one comment that I do get sometimes is, oh, you don't look 60 or you don't look that old. I'm like, well, what does that mean to you? Yeah. You know, because I think we think about stereotypes and sitcoms from when we were you know, 15 of what an older person looks like. And I don't know what, I don't know. But like, I had to check myself too, because I used to think it was a compliment. Like if somebody said, oh, you don't look your age. I just thought, oh, isn't that amazing? I don't look my age, but what, what's wrong with looking your age? Right. And what, and what is there a, does, do we all look the same at a certain age? Of course not. <laughs> you know, I mean, everything's different. And I, um, I often talk about, it seems like a, you know, antiquated analogy. Cause I don't know how many people actually buy greeting cards anymore, but um, you know, if you go down the, the greeting card aisle in Target or Hallmark store or anywhere, you will see a whole section of age cards, right? And they're typically, you know, poking fun and, you know, and all that. And I'm, I'm not saying that we lose our sense of humor over this because I don't, I think that's fine that, you know, there are cards sort of poking fun. But if you go back to my earlier point about isms and, you know, racism and sexism and all that, can you imagine going down a card aisle? And finding cards that are making fun of someone because they're Jewish or they're black or they're, you know, it just, no, it doesn't happen. So to your point about societal norms, I think somewhere along the way, because we didn't sort of push back against it, we just let people think it was okay to make fun of age, you know, as something. And, and you know, and COVID hasn't helped either because I think COVID um, has sort of perpetuated a little bit of the old equals frail or old equals weak or, you know, some of those perceptions because, you know, in the early stages of the pandemic, we had so much to learn and we didn't understand things and we felt like, oh, it's just affecting older people. So maybe it's supposed to be that way because older people are, you know, and it was just, I think it was pretty damaging to the overall perceptions of age too. I agree. And one of the things you talked about in your book was the language that we use that 
doesn't help. Right. I wondered if you could go into that a little bit, because I do remember when I was working in my J-O-B or any of those J-O-Bs, I did like to talk about, you know, how my seniority, because um, mm-hmm. I think people our age appreciate seniority. It was very much a, a thing that I was valuing. Uh, it got to a point where I realized that maybe it wasn't so great to talk about how long I'd been there. I don't know. Um, I thought that might be something that I said that that didn't help. What do you think? Yeah, I've, that's a tough one. And I've been asked that question before. Like, should I put when I graduate? You know, we used to, again, and we were, those of us, you know, that have been around a while, we're taught you start with your graduate, you know, you sort of do this chronological resume. And I actually think that that's like really dangerous. And um, not that I think, and so, you know, I'm not saying don't put when you graduated in to hide your age as much as just, it's just, it might automatically like, pull you out of a consideration set because people might make some assumptions, you know, even if it's not that you're too old for the job, it's probably the, oh, well, they would be too expensive, you know, but rather if we started to think about skill accumulation or strength accumulation, like if, um, you know, if I'm hiring for a position for a company that has, you know, is part of um, sort of takeover the new takeover world where there's constantly, you know, mergers and acquisitions and, and being, you know, companies being swallowed up by other companies. I would rather have somebody that has a whole lot of change resilience and experience with a lot of change. And so instead of saying, I'm looking for, you know, X years of experience or this sort of thing, like, let's be specific about the skills that we're looking for so that I, as a, you know, older applicant, can sort of describe to you the things that I've helped manage or led other people through certain change that would make my age a benefit as opposed to something that might be a red flag to you. And then, you know, the salary, if the salary is commensurate with what the value of the job is to the organization and you're transparent with me about that salary, I can decide to take it or not. And I may choose to take it, even though it might be less money than what I was making before. But as long as I feel like what I'm, you know, I'm being paid fairly for what I'm asked to do, let me make that choice. Don't just assume yeah, because I've been working for X number of years, I'm too going to be too expensive or I wouldn't be interested or I'm overqualified. There is no such thing as overqualified. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's so um, true. Yeah. That's so true. Well, I'm glad you brought this up and uh, I, it kind of goes nicely into the other question I was going to ask you. So this idea of being aware of what you can do on purpose, if you want to stay at that job and you start to notice some things with colleagues like you did, or, you know, what can you do that's proactive if you want to stay? Well, I think it is, first of all, um, you have to stay relevant and you have to stay on top of it and you have to be good at your job. And I would like to think that no matter what, age we are, that is a prerequisite that we all understand. You have to be good at, at what you do. So I don't think there is any um, sort of entitlement that I should get to stay in my job because I've been at the company for X number of years. So you have to keep, you know, trying to get better and learn and all the rest of that. But then if you do start to, um, well, there, there's a couple of things. One is I think that if you are part of an organization that just doesn't really seem to be addressing age or retirement or, you know, any of those kinds of things, just take the leap and bring it up and bring it up in a non-threatening, you know, I'd like to, um, I'd really like to stay in this job or stay with this company. 
I think I've shown you my value, you know, and I always think in in everything, speaking in ranges is a good idea. You know, I'd really like to stay here for the next three to five years, five to seven, you know, whatever the time frame is. Um, but I certainly want to leave feeling like that I've made a mark. And if I can help, you know, sort of train my replacement or bring somebody new on, I'd love to, or I often say, and this is a little bit more true, I think in the corporate world, but sometimes there are um, sort of individual contributor roles that when we know that our horizon does have an endpoint, you know, go ahead and take one of those individual contributor roles or put me in a role where I'm helping teach others, or maybe I'm going to go, you know, work overseas for the last couple of years of my career and bring all this wisdom and knowledge that I've gained from working at the headquarters location to Switzerland or wherever the market might be. And just be, you know, be willing to be open-minded about what the end of your career might look like, but bring it up and sort of go there because very few organizations um, have the courage to do that. So if you do, you know, there's risk for sure. It's what we talked about, you know, before in that they might sort of label you as a short termer. But I think if, if handled the right way and, you know, brought up with the true spirit of let's work on some solutions together, I think it can end up being a win-win for everybody. Oh, I love that. It's kind of like it's an opportunity maybe that you wouldn't have thought about needing to lead, but right. leading may actually work to your advantage. That's what I it think sounds it gives like. You some, I mean, one of the things, you know, I, it's so interesting, you know, and as I talk to people about, you know, I'm still not done. I talk to some people who say, Oh my God, I'm so done. Like, and I'm like, well, good for you. Like, there's nothing wrong with being done. My whole goal with this is that I just want the control in my hands. Like I want to be able to help orchestrate. You know, I spent a whole lot of time at the beginning of my career trying to position myself for the next opportunity to learn and grow and be ready. That doesn't just go away. Now I just want to position myself for how it's going to end, how and when it's going to end. And too often that choice is just sort of taken away from people. So I think that if you take control and have the conversation, you know, again, I know a lot of companies would um, say, well, I can't, you know, I don't even know if we're going to be in business in five years or we could get, you know, bought by another bank or this could happen. And so I know sometimes it's not possible for anyone to sort of make a commitment to that. Yes, you can have your job for the next five years, Um, but at least, you know, it's sort of on the table and it's out there and you can try to manage it to the most positive um, degree possible. And I I know some would disagree with me on that and say, oh, you're just really, you know, asking to be put on the chopping block. So, you know, if you work for a real jerk, you know, (laughs) or a company that has demonstrated that they're not really at all age friendly, you know, you might want to consider that conversation differently. But I think, you know, my experiences, and I'm a little bit of a glass half full person, but um, most company and most leaders are not intentionally ageist. They're just ignorant. They don't understand it, you know? And so you can, I think that's a, that's, that's a really great point. So you have this book, how can people get your book? I'm still not done. It's time to talk about ageism in the workplace. Yeah, the easiest and best place to get it is at Amazon. Um, And so it is available at other booksellers, but they would likely have to order it for you. So Amazon is um, the quickest and easiest. Awesome. And I'll put your links and contact information in the summary notes and the complete 
name of the book as well. So, um, Patty, thank you so much for just really being honest and open about this topic and, you know, just helping us be a little more proactive. And what I like to say around here at the women in the middle is being intentional. <laughs> so you're not right. just going to respond and just be oblivious. You're going to really think about it and be more intentional. And already you've just raised our awareness about other things you can talk about and consider. So thank you so much for that. What a great chance to really understand these issues. Thank you so much for having me. I um, I really think that this is a problem we can solve. So the more um, we can all be talking about it with solution-oriented thinking, I think we can make some progress. Okay, that's it for this episode. There is definitely a lot to think about when it comes to ageism in the workplace and in society in general. One great place to start digging a little deeper is to ask yourself some of these questions. Do you think it's okay to make jokes about aging? Like it's one thing to buy a card, but do you make jokes like when you're out with your friends, when somebody has a birthday? Where do you land on that? And what have you noticed about the extent to which culture sanctions ageism? Do you see it pop up in the shows that you're watching? Maybe in the reruns, maybe in the current shows, maybe in music? What are you noticing? Do you believe that your age can be an asset in your career or just something negative? What are your thoughts about that? And what would you do if you noticed ageism, if you actually noticed this kind of discrimination? And then would your response be different at work than it would be personally? Would you find it easier to make a comment or to participate um, vociferously in a conversation personally? And would you react the same way at work? Would you stand up the same way at work? Really interesting to think about. And then you know what we always do around here. Do you like your reasons? And if you like your reasons, awesome. And if you don't like your reasons, you may want to think a little bit more and dig a little deeper. These questions are just a start to improving your understanding about what is really going on out there with aging and also in your brain <laughs> and what role you want to have when navigating these waters. Okay, so as you know, this podcast is all about how to love your life again after 50. It's really about coaching you to be more intentional and to incorporate mindfulness into your life as a regular practice. And mindfulness is the key ingredient to regret-proofing your life. This is how you put you on your agenda. This is how you embrace becoming more responsible for your emotional well-being. This is how you get clarity again for what you actually want so you don't have regrets. Now, as you know, my focus as your midlife coach is to help you get unstuck, clear, and excited about your life again. Like I said, that path forward is to learn to think on purpose and take one tiny but thoughtful step at a time. That's how you're more intentional. So ask yourself, are you ready to do this? Because if you are, I'm all in to help you do it. Seriously, if you're ready to change your life and learn these skills to unstick yourself with some masterful coaching, a top-notch curriculum, an infusion of creativity, and a warm, fun, and awesome community of like-minded women, let's talk about it. I would love to be able to help you get unstuck and be happier and more fulfilled than ever before. I mean, think about it. That sounds fun. <laughs> so email me your questions. And of course, go ahead and book your momentum call at www.womeninthemiddleacademy.com and get in my calendar. 
For show notes and links, head over to www.susierosenstein.com and click the podcast tab and look for episode 287. And if you're interested in applying to be a guest on my new upcoming podcast, Women in the Middle Entrepreneurs, head over to www.midlifeinterviews.com and apply. Thanks so much for listening. It's time for you to put yourself first one thought at a time. I'm Susie Rosenstein, and I'll talk to you next week.